Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 48, 48th chapter of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. For this anniversary Sunday, I want us to look at the importance of a legacy of faith. Taking a break from our our study in the Ten Commandments today so that we can focus on our heritage having you turn to the 48th chapter, we have the story that that opens with a man at the brink of death. And from this perspective, he's reviewing his life. It's a, a perspective that often gives us a different outlook on the events of life. It, it puts things into context. You know, often when a person comes to the end of their life, they're looking at things from a, a different direction. Ambitions that may have seemed so important when they were young are, are, are really not as big a deal anymore. They fade into obscurity. Achievements that were pursued with great intensity are, are now seen in the light of God's sovereignty. And what we may have considered a priority at one point in the light of eternal values fades. Now, if it were you in this story, as we're going to see in a few moments, the life of Jacob, what would you be leaving behind? Well, I I know the, the real answer is everything. We leave it all behind. But the question is really a reflection of what do you really want to leave behind? Or the question at the beginning of your bulletin this morning. The question in my statement for our anniversary Sunday that opened it was, what one thing do you want to leave to your children and your grandchildren? That that is the question in my introductory statement to our anniversary Sunday bulletin. And, And when I heard that question recently, the immediate thought that came to my mind is, I want to leave to my children and grandchildren a godly heritage. But you know, that's easier said than it is done. You know, a person could leave a financial legacy that may not take a lot of work on their part. You know, a strategic stock purchase at just the right time and then letting it sit can have great blessing. It it can grow. A timely investment. A wise financial advisor who oversees a portfolio can, can do a lot of work for us without much thought on our part. But you will never leave a godly legacy without an intentional pursuit of God and of godliness. It's not just going to happen by accident. It takes an investment of your time, your attention, of your priorities. The man on the brink of death here in Genesis 48 is Jacob. He's going to reflect upon God's faithfulness in the past and and then pass those blessings on for the future. He understands that the older generations are to invest in the younger generations. That's our responsibility here at Tri-City Baptist Church. 
Because God's promises are not merely individual. They're not only family, but they're generational. They're for the next generation. The younger shall teach, the older shall teach the younger. And God is doing something bigger than our little world. He's working to receive glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Glory and honor, worthy, 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 as we sang. That he would receive glory in the church forever and ever. And while it's important for us to consider our personal legacy, that is, what we will leave behind to the lives of those that we touch, we also need to consider the legacy of our, our ministry, of our church. And that's why as we're coming to the, the point where we can pay off the debt, and that has been a goal for a while, that we never lose sight of the fact that that in and it of itself is not why Tri-City exists. That simply positions us so that the word may run, that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so what is the legacy of faith of Tri-City Baptist Church? See, the, the call of faith looks beyond our life. It even looks beyond the grave to those who will come after us. And it really is a statement of investment for eternity. So Jacob provides a practical example that I, I think will be helpful for all of us and I find personally challenging. And I trust that we will be encouraged. If you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 48, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 1. Genesis 48 beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up in, on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring who you begat after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came to Paden, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan. On the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons, and he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given to me in this place. And he said, Please bring them to me, that, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near, and he kissed them and embraced them. And, said, and Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face but in fact God has also shown me your offspring so Joseph brought them beside his knees and he bowed down his face to the earth we'll stop our reading there though we're going to consider this chapter this morning 
From the end of Genesis 47, about verse 27 of Genesis 47, through most of chapter 50, it's a narration of the impending death and the subsequent burial of Jacob. Now, while contemplating one's death may seem like a morbid melodrama, this is actually the culmination of the the patriarchal narrative. And it's a celebration of God's grace. It's a testimony of trust in the promises of God and as such a legacy of faith. And what I want us to consider this morning is that when you have trusted the Lord personally, you must proclaim His faithfulness to others in order to perpetuate a living faith. What are we doing to establish a legacy of faith? And and what is necessary, what is involved in, in taking a spirit an active spiritual concern in the lives of others. And that's what I want us to see from the life of Jacob that we can apply practically in our lives. The first thing that we see is that we must confidently tell of our personal relationship with the Lord. It's it's coming to the end of the life and, and now Jacob says, God Almighty appeared to me. He's in failing health and, and his son Joseph comes and he brings his two sons. Manasseh and Ephraim and and these are boys that as we read were born in Egypt they were born before Jacob came into the country and when Joseph comes Jacob sits up on his bed and he begins to talk about the most important thing in his life God he says God Almighty appeared to me He speaks of the mercy of God. He recounts the scene that had taken place many years earlier. It's actually recorded in Genesis chapter 28. And what he speaks of in this passage is the encounter he had with God many, many, many years earlier. It was at a time when when his own father, Isaac, tells him he does not want him marrying. He does not want Jacob to marry a girl from the land of Canaan, a Canaanite girl. So he sends him to his uncle, to Jacob's uncle Laban, and and to find a wife. And in that passage, in Genesis 28, Jacob leaves. He's making a cross-country trip all by himself for the first time. You know, Dad didn't just give him the keys to the car and say, drive it around the block once. It's not like he got dropped off in an airport and all he had to do was find his his right gate for that first time he ever made a, a, a flight. He couldn't punch an address into his GPS and say, okay, here's, you know, turn right here. He's setting out with no GPS, no itinerary, no hotel reservations, and nobody knows he's even coming. Do you think Jacob felt alone? And as he's making this trip, it gets dark and and he finds a place that he can lay down and he props a a stone up for a pillow and and he's sleeping under the stars. And as he falls asleep, he dreams. And we read of that dream in, in Genesis 28 verse 12. He has a dream of angels descending a ladder from heaven and then ascending this ladder and going up and down this heavenly staircase into the presence of God. And through this dream, God promises Jacob a land where he is 
that land where he's sleeping, that this will be his land for his descendants. The Lord also promises in that dream protection and his presence. And when Jacob wakes up, he says this in verse 16 of Genesis 28. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put it on, at his head and set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, house of God. But the name of the city, that city had been Lutz previously. Well, that's what he says in this. He's speaking of God appeared to me at Lutz. He renamed it Bethel. It's in the land of Canaan. What is he doing? He's recounting to his family where he had encountered God. This was an amazing, life-changing event. Folks, life begins when you have a personal relationship with God. And that comes through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what do we need to do? You need to share your salvation testimony. Share your story with your family of how God worked in your life. Do your, do your children know when you came to know the Lord as your personal Savior? Don't just assume they know that. Share the testimony. I, as I, if you read the statement in the beginning of our bulletin, I have a godly heritage. The picture there in the bulletin is of my dad toward the end of his life. He, he's studying his Bible. It's a very grainy picture, but it's one of my favorites. Because he was studying the Word of God, and it reminded me of a scene I saw many, many times as a child when I would come downstairs in the morning and my dad would be sitting at the table with his Bible open or praying or studying. And he had that relationship. In fact, the song that we sang just a few moments ago, Am I a Soldier of the Cross, was one of my dad's favorites. But you know, when I, I, I observed that living faith in the life of my father, but it was years later that I actually heard of his salvation. And it was when one of our kids asked him and, and wrote it out. And I, I got a copy of that. And then I, I asked my dad personally one time to tell me about that. You know, it was a wonderful thing. I observed that relationship, but it was also a blessing to hear that relationship. You know, tell your, tell your family your story of how Jesus redeemed you. Some of you have, have wonderful heritages of, of, of a Christian faith in your parents and grandparents. Others, you are first-generation Christians. And you had no background. And, and, and all of those stories are exciting because they're testimonies of Christ's redeeming work. It's a story worth telling. It should never get old. I love hearing this from those in our Doorway Fellowship class. And, and I ask them to write them out so that they think through it. But it's a wonderful testimony of God's working. But we must have a deep spiritual concern for our children and demonstrate our love for the Lord. And part of that love for the Lord is bringing them to worship together. That when they come to church, they hear the Word of God, they see the work of God, and it's God's Word and His work that brings to salvation. Faith comes by hearing in a believing way the Word of truth. That's what it says in Romans. But I would say also express your trust in the Lord to your family. 
I find it interesting that in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith, the testimonies of faithfulness that we read, in verse 21 it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on his staff. The, the statement of faith in Hebrews is pointing to this passage that we have read this morning in chapter 48 of Genesis. Jacob is rehearsing from his deathbed how God had blessed him. He's reflecting upon God's promises. He has not yet received the land, but he knows God's promises, sure. And he is so confident that God will do what he has promised that even at his death, he's worshiping the Lord and he demands that he would be buried in the promised land. He's looking to another place, another time. So it's no accident that the end of verse 2 here in Genesis 48 is what is referred to as that testimony. And it's also no accident in verse 2 that his name is shifted from Jacob to Israel. Jacob was the human name, the human warrior, the, the man who is now feeble and sick and aged and near death. Israel was the name of the bearer of the covenant promises the name that the Lord had given him. We need to communicate a spirit of faith in our lives, a positive faith attitude. He was so confident in the Lord's promises that he passes a double blessing on to Joseph. He's elevating Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and, and he says, they are my sons. He is adopting them. This is an official adoption that takes place here. And that really brings us to the second point, that we must compassionately share our spiritual concerns with the lives of others. That we would show this to our offspring. In, in verses 5 and 6, when he says, your sons are going to be mine just as Simeon and Levi are. And, and he's, he's speaking of adopting these boys. He says, the rest of your kids, they will be yours, but these are my sons. And in doing that, he's blessing Joseph. See, normally the firstborn would receive a double portion. But Jacob is bestowing that double portion on Joseph through his sons. His firstborn son was Reuben. Reuben forfeited that right because of his immorality. You can read that in chapter 49, verse 4. When Jacob calls for all of his sons, and he mentions there the, the immorality of Reuben, because of that, he doesn't get the double blessing. But in verse 15, he sa it says he blessed Joseph. But you know, there's no tribe of Joseph. There's no land of Joseph in the promised land. No, he has two tribes through his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They both have land in the promised land, and that is how Joseph is blessed. And of Jacob's 12 sons, the, the tribe of Levi did not receive property. They received the priesthood as their heritage. And, and you can read that in Joshua chapter 18, verse 7. The Levites have no part among you, but the priesthood of God is their inheritance. And so this is a fascinating scene. As Joseph brings his sons... He honors his father, and Jacob formally adopts those sons and gives them the right of full inheritance. They are heirs, just as the rest of his sons. That's what's communicated in verse 5. So how do we apply that? Well, share your passion, 
your perspective, your priorities with your children and with your grandchildren. Teach the truth. Teach them traditions. Teach them values. They will remember. I still remember stories my grandfather told me of when he came from England and and some of the, the challenges he faced when he came to this land. Tell your kids you pray for them. You pray for their salvation. You pray for their spiritual growth. Share what, you, what God expects of them. Well, how do you do that? Well, well, look at the example of Timothy. We read in 1 Timothy this morning, but if you went to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is again writing to Timothy and he says that, that from a child you have known the sacred writings. You've known the Bible. Timothy was instructed by his parent, his mother, and his grandparents. His grandmother, his, his mother and grandmother had taught him Scripture. So how do we do that? Start early. Early instruction. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Do it frequently. Continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of. Do it early. Do it frequently. And make sure it is Christ-centered instruction. Because it says in in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, which the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That name is Jesus of Nazareth. That He is God the Son. The God-man, 100% God, 100% man, and both of those are needed for our salvation. He had to be tempted in all points like we are without sin. He had to live a perfect, sinless life to die in our place as man. But He had to be God for that to apply to us. So it's He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive His righteousness. Tell your children that story. Share your spiritual concerns. Number three, optimistically recount how the Lord has sustained you through difficult experiences. Notice where Jacob goes in this passage. He, in verse 8, he says, For as for me, when I came to Paden, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way to Bethlehem. You know, we, we can read this and, and, and just kind of go over it, but he's sharing some of the difficulties of his life. If you know the story of, of Jacob, he was a bit of a scoundrel. He was somewhat of a rascal. I mean, he wasn't getting all the awards in a Awana club. He was the one who was getting sent out. And, and, and he was scheming, and it really came back to bite him when he was working for his uncle Laban. And now he's speaking of the death of his his wife, Rachel. This was Joseph's mother. This was the grandmother of the boys that are standing in front of him. And we we can read these verses and we can read this section as very matter-of-fact, but there must have been significant emotion in the room when, when he starts recounting and telling Joseph of the death of his mom. When Joseph had been sold into slavery, ripped from his family, taken into Egypt, and and never saw his mother again, and and these boys who were born there had never met their grandfather or their grandmother, and now their grandfather's re- reciting and recounting to them about her death. You know, the death of a spouse, the death of a parent, the death of a grandparent. There are always emotions. 
Some of them are mixed emotions. Some of them are sorrowful emotions. But Jacob is talking about the difficulties in his life. You know, we need to wisely tell of life's trials to our children and our grandchildren. We need to tell others. You know, it's good to speak of trials. It's good to speak of the difficulties. But we have to do it carefully. You want to talk about hardships, but you need to do it in a way that communicates your trust in God and His faithfulness. The goal is not to highlight the trial or, or to highlight sin, but it's to exalt the Lord. And we can warn others, those who come after us, of the wages of sin, the difficulties of sin, but we need to point them to the love of Christ, the faithfulness of, of the Lord, that He has been with us. And so we have to be careful that what we say is not undone by a complaining spirit. If you look at verse 16, dropping down in verses 15 and 16 of this passage, it says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, for whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the Lord who fed me all the day, my lifelong days, the angel of the Lord has redeemed me from all evil. He's pointing to the redemption the protection, the faithfulness of the Lord. We need to personally tell of God's provision. That's what Jacob is doing. He said, God has redeemed me. The angel of the Lord has redeemed me and protected me. God has provided. People, including our children, tend to view our life as it is now. They, they see us where we are. We see each other and think, okay, that's how it's been. And, and yet when you hear the stories and realize, no, we, God has been at work. Some from very difficult backgrounds, some from, from Christian backgrounds, but God has continued that He who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So allow windows into your life to be testimonies of God's faithfulness. And when we talk of difficulties, do so in a way that honors the Lord, that exalts Him, that directs the trust to Him. We, we have stories of praying in our family that we've shared with our kids of how God has answered prayer. Communicate that. He shares His desire that the, these lads would be blessed. To leave a legacy of faith, you have to share that it is truly God's grace that has brought you safe thus far. And grace will lead you home. Share those stories. The fourth thing that we see, though, is deliberately highlight God's grace in your life. Because it is God's grace that has brought us. And now Jacob turns the attention. He moves from that, that story, that sorrow of the death of his wife, of, of Joseph's mother, of the, these boys' grandmother, and now he talks about God's wonderful grace. He said, I never expected to see you again. I never thought I would see your face. Jacob thought Joseph was dead. And he said, not only have I seen your face again, I've seen your sons. And he's recounting what God has done. He said, God has fed me. What brought him to Egypt? A famine. First the famine, he sent his sons to, to go. And the sons come down and, and they don't know that it's Joseph that's now in charge of Egypt. And so he speaks roughly with them and, and they, they've changed. Those boys have grown. These lying, manipulative boys who wanted their brother dead are, are now, they're, they're different boys. And, and the tests that Joseph puts them through are, are revealing that. But one of the things he does is they, says, they tell him about Benjamin, his brother, that he's not met. And so he keeps Simeon and says, you won't see Simeon again unless you bring Benjamin back. 
Well, they go back and, and Jacob says, I've lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. I'm not about to lose Benjamin. And finally he has to send Benjamin. And he's not sure he's going to see him again. And, and so there's all of this sorrow and loss. And, and life is just getting worse and worse for Jacob until it's revealed that Joseph is alive. He's in control. And, and brings Jacob into Israel. And he looks back and Jacob is looking back and seeing the grace of God. Not only did he see Benjamin, that Benjamin survived, and he saw him again, and Simeon survived, and Joseph is alive, and now he's seeing Joseph's sons. Man, it's blessing on top of blessing. Recount the grace of God in your life. Learning God's grace had taken Jacob a lifetime. This wasn't a quick change Going from that manipulative scoundrel, and now he says, it wasn't my manipulation that did this. This was God. And he can confidently point to the future because of what God has done. Folks, if we're going to be obedient, our obedience is, tried to our, is tied to our trust. We sing trust and obey. But if you don't trust, it's going to be very difficult for you to obey because you're going to try to figure it out yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. So it shouldn't surprise us that Hebrews 11 points back to this very moment. The fifth thing that we see is that we, we need to boldly provide spiritual direction. When you contrast this scene of, uh, and, and to see, here is Joseph coming. Joseph is a man of integrity. He's the leader in Egypt. He's got administrative responsibility and ability. Jacob's a shepherd. He spent his life in agriculture, raising sheep. And now they come, and, and he, was, he was manipulative while his son was a person of integrity. And we see the contrast. But when the time for blessing... Jacob, in blessing his, when he got the blessing from his father, he had to trick him. He went and, and at his mother's bidding, Jacob goes to Isaac and says, I'm Esau, so he can get the blessing. Joseph doesn't do that. He said, here are my sons, bless them. And he brings them in integrity and he, and he positions them so that the younger would be on the left side and the older would be on the right side of his father so that his father could just put his hands on their heads and the blessing of the right hand, which was very important, would go to the older. And what happens is Jacob instead goes like this. He crosses his hands to bless them. And, and maybe Joseph thought, well, he doesn't understand. I put, put them in the right. And so he says, not so, my father. And he tries to switch them. And Jacob says no. Even though his physical eyes were dim, his spiritual eyes were open. And Joseph could not see the future for his sons, but God had given Jacob spiritual insight. And so he says, no, we're not doing it that way. And while Joseph isn't pleased, Jacob refuses to do what he says. God doesn't work according to human dictates. Oh, no, the, one, the older always gets a blessing. Well, it didn't happen with Jacob by trickery, and it's not happening with Joseph's sons either by God's design. The issue is not birth order. It's God's ordered blessing. 
And so let me encourage you, don't allow your children to move you away from God's purpose. Joseph's heart was in the right place, but God had a different plan. We need to be willing to instruct our children and grandchildren. Jacob corrects Joseph when Joseph says, no, you're doing the blessing the wrong way. You know, sometimes we're afraid as parents or grandparents to step in, but we have to be willing to lovingly correct and guide. Now, it's much easier to do that with believing children and grandchildren, and we may have to handle things differently with unbelieving children. But we need to pray, and we also not only do we need to not be moved away, we need to convey confidence in God's faithfulness. While his eyes may have been failing, his spiritual eyes had great sight. Has your spiritual sight improved with age? Leaving a legacy of faith necessitates growing in godliness and pursuing the Lord. If you want to leave a legacy, a godly legacy, you've got to talk to your children about God. You have to develop a positive faith attitude. And it's not about the church, it's about Christ who's the head of the church. Don't just talk about what God's done at Tri-City Baptist Church. Don't just talk about TCA or IBCS. Talk about Jesus Christ. Because we're here to give glory to Him. And they want to see a real relationship in your life. That parents, we need to be full-time servants of the Lord. We may not all be in full-time vocational service, but don't let your aspirations for your children and grandchildren be those that will take them away from the Lord. Make sure that what you are directing your children to, in your priorities, in what you're doing, in your choices, are bringing them closer to God. Is He your shepherd? If so, then you can direct them in that way. Are you confident when you come to your deathbed that you will be seen Jesus Christ. Number six, firmly direct attention to the future and the eternal. That's what happens at the end of this chapter. Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given a portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. He is telling Joseph, Your sons will have a place in a land they've not even been to yet. They were born and raised in Egypt. They grew up in a pretty good home. I mean, Joseph had what was Egypt had to offer. But Jacob is saying, no, there's something more important. It's eternal. We need to be careful that we don't give our kids the idea that a nice house, a big house, a nice job, a good portfolio, uh, prestige and popularity is what it's all about. No, none of those things have eternal consequences. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? See, the ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church, our anniversary, our celebration is not about this building. This building is a place where we can come and and the body gathers, the church gathers. It gives us a, a facility to do ministry and to touch lives. But we need to be pointing to Jesus Christ. But you can't praise what you don't prize. You can't glorify the one you don't know. And so let's make sure that we know where we're going. Are you investing in eternal souls for the glory of God? What legacy do you want to leave? What legacy would you leave? You know, what values are you intentionally imparting to others? Tri-City Baptist Church is seeking to invest in the lives of others. But what values are you leaving? Where is your focus this morning? 
Do you know the Lord as your shepherd through Jesus Christ as Jacob did? Can you say to your children, grandchildren, the Lord is my shepherd and he has met my needs. I have not lacked. If not, we would love to be able to show you from God's word how you can have that relationship this morning. Let's pray together.